This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. I want to talk about toxic masculinity. We'll start off with a little imagery here. I want you to imagine three men. Picture three men standing next to each other. One is Pajama Boy. You know Pajama Boy? Uh, he was in an advertisement for Obamacare back in 2009. Uh, 25 years old. Wearing his footy pajamas, two hands on his hot cocoa mug by the fire. A little bit of a hipster beard, I believe. Encouraging you and and other millennials to sign up for their parents' health insurance. That's pajama boy. Never had a callus on his hands and doesn't know how to throw a punch. Man number two, the brute in the bar. You know, the brute. Gets in fights all the time, all the rest. Then you have the third man. Does man number two make sense? We don't need any more description of him, right? Violent, angry, flies off, all the rest. Then man number three. Man number three is the unassuming Navy SEAL. So I live here in San Diego, and there's Navy SEALs all over the place. And a lot of them you wouldn't even know, right? I mean, yeah, you have some Navy SEALs who look like The Rock, but then most Navy SEALs just look like regular people. And you can tell who they are because you say, oh, you know, what do you do for a living? And they're like, oh, I'm in the military. They're super humble about it. And you're like, ah, you keep asking. And they're like, oh, I'm in the Navy. Oh, yeah, what, what do you do? Uh, okay, that's SEAL, right? Like they'll eventually get to it. Super unassuming. But they can kill you with their left index finger. But they don't. So what is toxic masculinity? That is when feminists view all men as the drunk brute in the bar. So to solve this problem, they want to make all men pajama boys. I believe the solution is to instead turn men or raise boys to become the quote-unquote Navy SEAL. Strong, capable, powerful, but given a direction towards a noble purpose. That needs to be the goal. Not to emasculate men, but to give men a noble purpose and direction. So let me back it up a second. So toxic masculinity, thats it's been around for a long time, right? It's nothing new, but the term is, is on the newer side. Now, oh, by the way, toxic masculinity is pretty much all masculinity. So we have to eliminate all of it. Uh, you see it on TV shows. You've seen it for a while. The dad's always a doofus. You see it in commercials coming from Madison Avenue. The man is always an idiot because he buys the wrong laundry detergent from the store or whatever. Or have you seen that the, there's a Toyota truck commercial where they're like they have spools of light in the back of the truck and then they go out to a field and they spell out welcome home Julia on the ground and there happens to be a, a woman soldier. Or I should say there is a woman soldier in a plane who happens to be sitting on the, the 
the, the window seat on the right side of the plane and she looks out the window and she sees Welcome Home Julia and it has the most pathetic soundtrack in the background. It's a song by the band Perfume Genius. And, and you've heard this, you've seen this before and you're like, that's a truck commercial? It's a commercial for a truck, a pickup truck? She's like, weak, pathetic, Namsy Pamsy Perfume Genius song? A truck. We're not going to have time to get to it today, but there's a New York Times article just a couple days ago where uh, the New York Times dispatched a reporter to Texas to try and understand the rest of the country. And it's hilarious because this article is written as if the reporter went on a safari in Africa, right? And they're, they're observing these homo sapiens west of the Hudson River. And they came across some. And it turns out after observing these homo sapiens for a while, that they seem to have a strong affinity towards trucks. And it's, it's a hilarious article because they don't go on to explain why Texans love trucks. They just say that they do. And, and it's like they're reporting back to people in New York. Hey, did you know Texans love trucks? Hilarious article. So I asked my wife, she's from Tennessee. I asked her why Southerners love trucks. And she said, because they're manly. So what are you talking about? She goes, I didn't know. A, she says, I didn't know a single man her entire life growing up in Tennessee, East Tennessee, Chalside, Chattanooga. She, she didn't know a single adult male who did not drive a truck, except she had one friend, one friend who was rich and her dad had a four door Lexus. And, and she tells this in a hilarious way because of her Southern accent. But she's like, I thought it was nice, but weird. She said, every man she knew how to pick up. When we met, I drove a Jeep, Jeep, Jeep Grand Cherokee. And she questioned my manliness. When we first met, because I didn't drive a pickup truck, she judged me as less of a man because I was, we were in a, a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Everyone she knew drove, drove, drove a truck. But the New York Times couldn't even broach why Texans love trucks because they couldn't admit that they are indeed manly. Anyway, so Wisconsin-Madison uh, is the latest school to do this. They have what they call the Men's Project. The Men's Project creates a space for critical self-reflection and dialogue about what it means to be a man. And how masculinity impacts us and those around us. And again, the point of the program, just as is the point of feminism, is to make men more like women. All of our problems in our culture, they say, is because men don't act enough like women. So we're going to turn the brutes, as all men are, into pajama boys. Uh, I want to quote David French here. I'm going to quote him at length just because it's so good. He says, here's the problem. Vulnerability, which is what this program's all about. It's about teaching men to be more vulnerable. Vulnerability is not a virtue. It, it's a morally neutral characteristic at best, and it's a vice at worst. And, and yes, some men are more naturally sensitive than others. That's fine. But, but we now ask, no, we beg men to indulge their emotions as if the antidote to awful male aggression is a good cry. David French says there's a good reason. There are good reasons why generations of fathers have taught their sons to man up. And it's not because young boys are blank canvases on which the patriarchy can paint its oppression. It's because men in general have essential natures that are different from women. We tend to be more aggressive, more energetic, and less nurturing than women. And this is the key. The fundamental challenge of raising boys is in channeling that nature in productive ways not in denying or trying to eradicate its existence. In other words, we need to make men more purposeful, not more 
vulnerable. And we are failing in that key task. Feminism has infected child rearing and modern education so thoroughly that legions of parents and teachers are adrift and clueless. They have no idea what to do with their sons other than medicate them if they're acting up, right? And absent fathers compound and confuse and create yawning cultural voids. But here's the question. What better equips a man to confront a difficult and challenging world? Because it is a difficult and challenging world, right? So what better equips a man to confront that? Is it more tears or is it more toughness? Is it teaching men to be compassionate or to be objects of compassion? Gosh, I love that so much. So I have a three-month-old now, Jack. Jack Wilder. Jack Wilder Slater. Manly name. And I, I'm going to teach him to be a compassionate man. But I'm not going to raise him to be an object of compassion. What good is that? The vulnerable male's cry is help me. The masculine male's quest is to become the helper. Boys will be boys, but they won't all become men. For a father, there are few more rewarding things in life than helping a son become a man. To watch him test himself in productive ways and to help him cultivate and demonstrate a, pro a protective spirit. Among the great gifts a father can give a son is a sense of masculine purpose. So see the difference there? In that, in that vision, which is the one I'm going to be using, or the vision of, of making men objects and boys objects of compassion. I see no benefit to that. I'll give you an example of channeling manliness. John Wayne, uh, is a good place to start. In the movie McClintock, he says, you've got to be a man first before you can be a gentleman. You got to be a man first before you can be a gentleman. You need first the, the core characteristics of masculinity, strength, courage, those things, right? You have to have those characteristics and then constraint, right? You have to have the power and the ability and the confidence to impose your way, but then you voluntarily restrain that. And instead of your way, you use those powers to serve someone else. That's how you be a gentleman. But you can't go about it the other way. Like the, the, the feminism in our culture today says you need to be a gentleman before you become a man or a gentleman and then you have to be a man. But in the words of Brett McKay, he says, without the structure of the hard tactical virtues of manliness behind them, the gentle virtues shapelessly droop and sag and fail to engender the same kind of respect. There was a 17th century philosopher, a French philosopher, I forget his name, but he said, nobody deserves to be praised for goodness unless he's strong enough to be bad. For any other goodness is usually merely inertia or lack of willpower, right? So if someone's good just because they're blech, just because they're lazy, like that's not good. That's, that's, just, that's just nothing. So you don't get praise for being good if you're just a sack of potatoes. You're praised for being good because you take the, the, the strength you have that could be used for bad and instead channel it to something righteous and noble. Makes sense. So th this is what they don't get about toxic manliness because toxic masculinity in their world can only be bad. Hence, it's toxicness. Right? I'll take a break more. I got a lot more to say about it. We'll clear it up next. If you have any other questions, 1-800-933-93. 1-888-933-93.
and Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Thanks for being here. Talking about toxic masculinity. Let me just do a quick update, and then we'll uh, tell, tell a couple stories here. So our culture and, and colleges here, are, the toxic masculinity is a big problem, right? So, so anything masculine, strength, power, confidence, a protective instinct, these are inherently bad things, they say, and they need to be eradicated. And they can be eliminated by teaching men to be more like women. It used to be said to get in touch with your feminine side. Uh, but now the key word is, is vulnerable. You need to be more, be more vulnerable. Now, of course, obviously, men need to get in touch with emotions and all that stuff. I, I remember my, when my wife said, you don't have any emotion. <laughs> That's not a good day, right? So I've been working on that. That's all good. But that doesn't mean you need to become pajama boy. Because these aspects of men can be used for evil, but they can also be used for good. So instead of eradicating them, they need to be channeled to productive purposes. Because I believe if we eliminate these virtues from men, then men become pathetic and lifeless and purposeless and depressed and burdens on society. So we need to increase the strength and power and confidence of boys. And we need to raise them so that they apply those characteristics to noble pursuits. Make sense? So a quick story on this. Odysseus was a young man, young boy, and he visited his grandfather. And they had a Big feast, and then they went out with a bunch of his uncles to go hunt in the woods. So they're walking in the woods, and a giant boar comes out of nowhere, jumps in front of the whole group. Now, Odysseus is the youngest person in the group by far. He's a kid amongst men, but he's the first to launch at the boar with a spear. Now, he misses, right? the boar dodges it and attacks him and gets him on the knee. But Odysseus backs up and then kills the boar. He gets this gnarly scar on his, on his leg. And he goes back home and he tells his parents all about what happened. And he tells it with great pride, as you could imagine, right? This moment was, it was a rite of passage for Odysseus, his first big hunt. But not only that, it was, it was a moment to show his, to prove his, his personal courage, but also his ability to cooperate with other men because back then, uh, that was really important to prepare yourself for battle, right? Because that was one of the highest ranks was, was a warrior, right? So this was his first, you know, kid doing a warrior-like thing. So he gets his big gnarly scar. It's awesome. 20 years later, he goes back to his hometown and he's keeping his identity a secret. So he dresses up as a beggar. Long story short, a, a woman ends up washing his feet and she thinks he's just a beggar. But as she's watching his, washing his feet, he, she looks up and she notices this scar on his knee, and she says, you are Odysseus. She recognizes him from the scar that he received as a boy. So that scar not only proved his identity at that moment, but that scar established his identity. 
that established it in the first place. Scars for all of history have been badges of honor. And not only in all of history, but in every culture everywhere. You name it, Africa, Asia, Europe, Latin America, South America, for all time, everywhere, scars were honorable, honorable because it showed your readiness to protect. And you know that something is ingrained in, in, you, in, your, in your soul and you know that it's written on your heart if it's true for all cultures for all time. Okay, this isn't a Western European thing. This is everyone everywhere. Scars were always seen as a badge of honor because it showed your readiness to protect. Today, I fear that we're teaching boys to avoid the fight. Or maybe even worse, we're teaching them that there is no fight. That there's nothing worth fighting for. Instead, you should be soft and gentle and weak. Our culture tells men there's nothing worth protecting. There's no reason to get a scar. And if you do get a scar, you don't talk about it as a point of pride. You talk about it as if it's something you need to cry about. Alexander the Great was fending off a mutiny from his men. So he gets up in front of everyone and he gives this baller speech where he says, basically, if there's anyone here, anyone here amongst the thousands of, of, of soldiers, if there's anyone here who has more scars on them than me, step here, step up. Let me see. And then he says, the scars on my body, they're on the front of me. They're on the front. I've been cut by swords, shot by arrows, hit by stones, all for the sake of your lives, your glory, your wealth. Right? There's, there's no scars on my back because I would never ran from the fight. I always went head first into it. I want my son Jack to have a lot of scars. Not just physical scars but all types of scars. John Bunyan in uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, which everyone has to read, he says, my marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness that I have fought his battles, God, that I have fought his battles who will now be my rewarder. It's all types of battles to fight. You know, it's odd we think uh, maybe we can talk about this in the next segment, actually. Like, the only reason feminism... Actually, I'll leave that. Coming up next, we'll talk about why feminism is even able to exist today. But it's odd because we think we're so safe, so protected, right? Everything's so great, we're so wealthy, that there are no more battles to fight, right? It's, it's the enlightened view, to go back to what we talked about in the last hour, right? The enlightened thing is to think that we're, we're post-war or whatever post-conflict, post-battle. And maybe maybe we're post, you know, two enemies lining up like revolutionary war style and shooting at each other as they march towards each other, right? We post that, okay. But that doesn't mean there's no more battles to fight. There will always be battles to fight. And I want my son to fight battles. Otherwise, What's the point of being a man at all? 1-888-933-93. When I come back, uh, we can do that. We'll chat about why feminism is even able to be a thing, right? So for all of human history, men were men and everything that means. But only now is the first time ever 
when that is seen as a bad thing. Why now? My thousands of years it's been one way and now it's supposed to be something different? Why? What happened recently that this is able to be a thing even? Talk about that next. And well, actually, we can uh, relate it to Donald Trump in the election. We'll do it next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. just want to die without a few scars it's nothing to have a beautiful stock body you see those cars that are completely stock cherry right out of the dealer's showroom in 1955 and i always think what a waste toxic masculinity something we're told we need to eliminate from our uh, society by the way i should note when i uh i mentioned that quote from uh, alexander the great the other day on my on my local show and i got an email from Oh, an astute listener who said, Slater, hold on. You told that story a while back, but it wasn't Alexander the Great. It was someone else. Right? The, the story of, uh, listen, I, I have all these scars on the front of my body fighting for your glory, right? Basically, he was saying, I'm, 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 I, Alexander the Great, I'm not asking you people to do anything that I haven't done myself. So I got an email from someone that says, Slater, wasn't that another person who gave that speech about the wounds on the front of their body and all that? Indeed, well done, sir. I've told the story before of uh, Lucius Paulus. This was 200 BC. He won a, a big battle for Rome. And he came home, and the military people didn't think that they got enough money. They didn't get enough spoils from the big victory. So one of the soldiers led a mutiny. Right? He wanted to take over the military. His name was uh, Galba. So Marcus Servilius, who was a war hero, he got up and he spoke in defense of the general Paulus. And he said, basically, don't listen to that guy. Don't listen to that Galba guy. He's learned nothing except how to make great speeches. I have fought 23 battles. All right, so who are you going to listen to? This guy who just talks a good game or the person who's actually lived it? And Marcus Servilia says, my body is covered with honorable scars. Everyone received in front. And he says, as an old soldier, I've often shown this body of mine hacked with the sword to the young ones. Let Galba, let this other guy who's like creating the mutiny, let Galba strip and show his smooth skin with not a scar upon it. <laughs> what an awesome charge to make against someone, right? So similar story there. Anyway, I want to read this quote here from, this is Leslie Eastman. We'll bring this to politics now here. She was responding to someone at Huffington Post who was critical of the 53% of white women who voted for Trump. And this is her response to that. And then I'll explain how feminism can even exist today at all. So anyway, Leslie says, uh, so this is basically saying this is why I, a white woman, and this is why 53% of white women or many of those 53% voted for uh, Donald Trump. She says, I am the wife of a white husband who's a kind, hardworking, devoted family man. I'm the mother of a white son who's the perfect mix of sweet and smart. I'm the sister of a white brother who served this country honorably as a United States Marine. I'm the aunt of a white nephew who's also served this country in the Army. I'm the daughter of a white father who won a Pulitzer Prize covering the race riots in Detroit in an effort to support civil rights. I'm the best friend of a white co-blogger blogger, who served in various hotspots around the globe as a Green Beret. And I'm the employee of a white male employer who's an awesome boss and a substantial taxpayer. 
She says, I see how hard all of these men work and how much they give to family and friends and how much they give to this country. These are my primary relationships. When I vote, listen to how, un, how politically incorrect this is. When I vote, the quality of their lives are go, <clears throat> excuse me, the quality of their lives are going to be a significant part of my decision matrix. When life under Donald Trump, while life under Donald Trump may not be perfect for them, I anticipate that their lives will be better because of the policies that Trump plans to enact and the people he intends to put in charge. So will mine. And, and she says, uh, she ends with this. The thing I like best about electing Donald Trump is the era of the beta male is over. So it's weird that the, it makes me uncomfortable. Even after the, the last two seconds we had about the importance of masculinity and directing it to a noble purpose and all the rest, serving others. Basically, that's it. I'm, our number one theme for Jack is we want him to um, protect the vulnerable. Right? The, the, the proud moment that I just I pray for and I'm trying to raise my son to, to, to do is, I don't know how old, 10, and he goes in the lunchroom and he sees uh, someone sitting alone. For whatever reason, that kid is sitting alone and I want my son to go over and sit with him. Right? That's just one of or you know, stop a fight, someone being bullied on or whatever. I just want him to protect the vulnerable so badly. That's what an alpha male really is. But anyway, I go on this whole these last you know whole hour here about the importance of masculinity and directing it to noble purposes and all that. And then even I am uncomfortable with this woman's response about why she voted for Donald Trump and how politically incorrect this is when she's basically like, yeah, I'm a woman and I voted for Trump because I have a lot of men in my life who provide and protect and serve me. And I think their life will be better under Trump and therefore my life will be better. That is so politically incorrect. Because we're told the president is supposed to focus on uh, women's issues. I don't even know what a woman's issue is. I, I told this before I asked my wife a couple of years ago what the three most important issues for her are. And she said, education, national defense, and the economy. And I said, no, no, but what about birth control or whatever? She's like, education, national defense, the economy. That's, there's your woman's issues. And she's saying, listen, I just want a country where the men in my life are thriving. It's bold. All right, last point. We'll move on to a different topic. How is this type of feminism even able to exist today? Right? For all of human history. For all of it. And again, this is how you know that men were designed, created to be like this. Because it's been the case every culture for all time. If it's just, you know, this way with Western men and men in China are different, in, then it's cultural, right? But this isn't cultural. This is much deeper than that. So why is feminism, which comes in and says, no, men, you shouldn't be like this. How is it able to happen? Why? Because we live in an unprecedented, prosperous time. In the past, the very first and second and third, fourth, and all the way to last priority was to protect because of invading tribes that could come in at any moment. So the first priority was protection. That's why warrior was such a high rank. And now, you know, the protection part's pretty much, pretty much taken care of. Right? At least we don't see 
a lot of our soldiers and service members who do a lot of that protecting. All right, so we don't, it's not, n- not everyone's responsible for it. I'll put it like that. In the past, every man was responsible for protecting the tribe. Not anymore. You know, 1% of Americans are in the military. So that's, a, there's, that's the second, or that's the first priority of a man, protect. The second is to provide. But now, and I'm not begrudging this, I'm just telling you what, women can provide. Right? Or uh, the government can provide. So men aren't needed here exclusively anymore either. So the man's role to protect and provide have been taken away. So now what do men do? Well, according to every TV commercial, they go to the grocery store and get the wrong laundry detergent and get yelled at, right? So that's, that's the role of a man now. So what do we do? Well, when it comes to providing, we have to strengthen marriages, as always, and get the government out of the charity game, out of the welfare game, which would require men to become providers once again. That's simple. We talk about that all the time. We also need to raise boys to find new fights. Every one, every person is made to fight for a cause. And we are told and we tell our kids that there's nothing more to protect and that's a lie. I'll end here. Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Dallas. He says, where men fill the purpose and design of men, as the Bible has outlined it, humanity flourishes. And where men refuse to step into the space that men are called to fill, the world burns. You want to look at it economically? You want to look at it sociologically? Just do a secular study of what happens when men refuse to be husbands and refuse to be fathers. Look at what happens. Everything breaks. Everything. And it's a problem because cultural leaders today are encouraging men to not step into the space that men need to occupy. 1-888-933-93. So I encourage you to do the opposite of that. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, we're two hours in and we haven't really talked any politics. So why don't we do a couple minutes of politics here. Next segment, I want to talk about uh, populism, how it happens what it is exactly, and uh, we'll break that down. Uh, I want to talk about Betsy DeVos. So she is the uh, she's president-elect Trump's education secretary choice. A lot of attacks against her, uh, and I want to run, run through a few of them. Three, if we, get, if we have time. The first one is that she is against public education, which honestly would be fine by me, but she's not. Uh, this is USA Today's senior political reporter. Betsy DeVos is very much against public education. Uh, Washington Post, to Trump's education pick, the U.S. public school system is a dead end. Okay, so where did, where did that person get the quote, dead end? Why would this writer believe that she thinks public education is a dead end? She gave a speech in 2015 at South by Southwest. South by Southwest is a very tech, innovation-savvy gathering of people, right? So she gave a speech there about education, and she said, we are beneficiaries, we Americans are beneficiaries of startups, ventures, and innovation in every other area of life. But we don't have that in education because it's a closed system, a closed industry, a closed market. It's a monopoly, a dead end. And the best and brightest innovators and risk takers steer clear of it. And as long as education remains a closed system, we will never see the education equivalents of Google, Facebook, Amazon, PayPal, Wikipedia, or Uber. Okay? 
end quote. How disingenuous do you need to be in order to hear that quote and come to the conclusion that she thinks public education is a dead end in, in, in totality? That is so wildly disingenuous when the point of her article or point of her speech is about innovation in public education. How amazing would it be if the Elon Musks of America were free to innovate in education and not just in everything else that Elon Musk is innovating in? But they can't because it's a closed system. It's a monopoly. That doesn't make her against public education. It just sees, it means that she sees the need and, and the way to change it, or at least why it hasn't changed. Nonsense. Second attack. She's an elitist. Now, <laughs> this deserves more time, but let me, I'll do it anyway. If you, if an alien from outer space, okay, so an alien from outer space came in and looked at the public education system in America. And I use alien because that means they have no background in what's happening and who the players are and what political parties are or anything. They just observed the public education system. They would come to the conclusion that the objective was to keep poor kids illiterate and unemployable. And from their perspective, some kids sneak through the cracks and can actually read. Lincoln High here in San Diego, 70% of high schoolers can't read. 70%. 70% can't. So it's like, oh, darn it. Don't. You know, from the aliens, it's like, oh, geez, look, I mean, obviously the objective is to make sure kids can't read because they're doing a bang up job of that. And some sneak through the cracks and actually can, unfortunately. Right. It's like totally backwards. So Betsy DeVos is an elitist. Why? Because she sends her kids to private school. Well, so does most politicians. So does the president. So that's absurd. What we want is to bring innovation and all the benefits of private and charter schools to everyone. How does that make you an elitist? This one's my favorite, though. Uh, She supports child labor. (laughs) She supports throwing kids in the sweatshops. How? Here's here's the deal. She has a lot of money. She's a billionaire. And she gives a lot of money to a group called the Acton Institute. It's a think tank in Michigan. It's a free market libertarian think tank. Uh, Acton is named after Lord Acton. He's the guy who said power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Lord Acton. Anyway, uh, someone in that group wrote an article supporting child sweatshop labor. So first of all, it wasn't even her who supports it, right? It was, she gives money to a group and someone in the group wrote an article about it. So it's a guilt by association, right? But the other thing is that's not what the article was about. (laughs) The real headline of the article was work is a gift our kids can handle. And the article is about the importance of working at fast food restaurants and grocery stores or whatever jobs teenagers do because they learn a lot of life lessons that can't be learned in the classroom but can be applied in the classroom. That was the article. So Huffington Post takes that and says that uh, she wants to bring back uh, you know, textile mills and, and throw the kids in the coal mine. Like what total absolute nonsense. So we'll see what Betsy DeVos fights for. But I know she supports charter schools. I know she values free markets and education and obviously innovation in a public school monopoly. That's great. And if she can do those things, particularly in our inner cities, she and and Donald Trump and the people they surround themselves with in in this effort can transform entire communities. 
I, the, the thing I'm most excited about because it has the absolute most potential for a real lasting and dramatic change is education reform, particularly in our inner cities. This is life changing for so many generations of people. Tons of potential here. And I hope Betsy DeVos does it. And I hope no one gets sidetracked by stupid accusations like she wants kids to be thrown in the coal mine like total nonsense it's mike slater show plays radio network spread the word you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network